Hi, this is Jade Taylor from Sci-Fi's The Magicians. I play Katie Orloff Diaz, and welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome, welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magician's Interview. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are interviewing Jade Taylor, who of course plays Katie in The Magicians. We are so excited to have her on. It was so cool for her to come on. Yeah, and we had a great time together. That was a good conversation. I can't believe we kept her so long. I know. I felt bad because I know she had a hard out. She had to leave and go somewhere. And we, <laughs> we ended up only giving her like 20 minutes to get out. But we did. We had so much fun and the time just flew by. I got to tell you, I'm still, I don't think I'll ever get used to this. In the beginnings, I'm always nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say and I fumble my words. Well, it's always a little awkward when you're meeting someone for the first time via Skype. And because it's via Skype, we did have some audio issues with echoing and feedback. We're sorry for that. We're going to do our best to clean it up as much as we can. So I know you guys are very familiar with Jade already, but in keeping with our character review section of the regular Magicians episode reviews, we want to give you a little background on her. Jade Taylor is an American film and TV actress born in Hollywood, California. She showed a passion for the arts from a young age. At three, she began gymnastics. At four, ballet. And she also studied acting, singing, music, and dance, most of which we will talk about in the interview more. She attended a performing arts high school and after graduating, moved to New York City to continue her studies. She later returned to Los Angeles to pursue her career in theater, independent films, TVs, and movies. Jade played reoccurring characters in the TNT series Murder in the First and the NBC series Aquarius, opposite David Duchovny, and has appeared in HBO's True Blood and NBC's Vegas. She starred in the thrillers Cam to Cam and Altered Perception and will be seen in the Lorenzo D. Bonaventura film Higher Power a sci-fi thriller about a regular guy who acquires the powers of a demigod. So, of course, we will get into some of that, but we will mostly be discussing her role as Katie on The Magicians, as well as some of her personal projects and things she's passionate about that we didn't know and we were very excited to talk about, including her work with people who have experienced domestic violence. We had such a great time in this interview, and if you do too, please spread the love and let her know that you enjoyed listening to the podcast. So without further ado, let's welcome Jade. Hi. Hello. Hey guys. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you so much for coming on. Coming oh my God, it. of course. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with this exercise. Christina is an art therapist. Oh, amazing. And we thought it'd be fitting because Katie has just left the uh, mental ward and we thought this would be a, a fun exercise we do just to loosen up together if you're down. Yeah, absolutely. You want to you warm up. We do this before to warm up. Okay, so <laughs> they're all warm-up breathing activities or things that are supposed to help you relax. Uh-huh. And so when you catch it, you got to look where your thumb lands, and that's the one you do. So, Jason, you want to catch it? Yes. Okay. Okay. What do you got? What inspires you? Okay, so mm -hmm. I have to answer that? Summer questions, yeah. What inspires me? I didn't know I'd be getting asked questions. Ah. <laughs> I guess creativity, being creative in life, mm. making things. Yes, that's true. We have artwork up all over this whole room. All right. Your turn. Uh, this one's just a quote. Each moment is another opportunity to believe in yourself. Nice. That. So I'll I act as you. 
Okay, perfect. All right, here's right. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, name a way you help others. Um, as a domestic violence counselor. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's something I'm really, really passionate about, and um, yeah, I've been volunteering on and off for about five years. What do you do? Is it talk mostly? I mean, it, it varies. A lot of it is actually um, supporting children. That's like my passion because I don't know what it is, maybe my own experiences, but um, I just understand childhood trauma <laughs> really well. And I, can, I feel like, I, like in playing with them and how they interact, it's sort of a lot of it is reprogramming. So how they interact with others can be whether um, sometimes they're really closed off or sometimes they're lashing out and it's really just being conscious and aware of how and why they're doing it and supporting them in a healthy alternative. So if let's say they are lashing out, like sitting down, talking to them, asking them what's coming up for them, really getting to the bottom of what's causing that, um, that reactive behavior. And, And the same thing with adults as well. It's just sort of listening to them, talking to them, understanding their patterns uh, the cycle of abuse, what that means, their traumatic triggers, and being able to um, just be there in support and give them healthy alternatives. That's awesome to hear about because, like, like Jason like, said, like, I'm an art therapist, but that's a lot mm-hmm. of what I focused my work on when I was more actively practicing was people had, who had gone through trauma, primarily veterans, uh, military experiences, but really any kind of trauma. Just like you said, it, it was mostly about listening to their story, having somebody to hear what they'd been through, and then yeah. other ways that they could work through that because a lot of times traditional therapy wasn't really effective. Yeah. So, well, cause, yeah, because I, I mean, a lot of what we've done is like you study the trauma and um, cycle of the brain and how it works in regards to trauma and how literally when you go through a traumatic experience, the logical thinking, the frontal cortex shuts down and your body goes into survival mode and it goes into hyperdrive and all this cortisol is like, hi buddy. It's just, is released and it's just, you go into freeze, flight or fight. And there's, and it's so challenging to reprogram your body to logically go in those traumatic moments when you're going into that response to go, Oh, I'm having a traumatic trigger right now. We don't, we can't be conscious of it. So it's like incrementally reprogramming with positive reinforcement. And it's, I mean, it takes a lot to, to shift that habitual way of being. Yeah. Even like you said, the, the triggers themselves, sometimes they don't seem related. So you don't even know what's, what's setting that off. It doesn't seem like it's related to the traumatic memory. Yeah. Um, so even just figuring out what that is, is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And yeah, cause it's, it's a blind spot. We always talk about like blind spots in it as well. It's like, it's a blind spot. We don't even realize that we're doing it. And oftentimes we'll start pointing the finger and blaming somebody else mm. because we can't compartmentalize and go, Oh, that's actually my experience mm-hmm. and my trauma. It's easier to, to point the finger and blame somebody else and not take responsibility for how we're feeling. Yeah, I could go into that forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's so funny. I'm sorry, Jason. I don't mean to, to jump Please. jump the gun here, but um, these questions were not until later. I I feel like, and I, I could be off base, that's a lot of what the character Katie has gone through. It, it just seems like so many traumatic experiences that she hasn't been able to really address or hasn't had the time to really address because there's constantly 
one life or death situation after the next. And it it almost felt like that's what she was trying to say when she was talking to Penny in some of these recent episodes. (laughs) Having a background, does that help you portray that? Do you think that's what's going on with her character? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's helped me immensely in, in finding a character and understanding a character because when we understand human mechanisms, we understand a person better. And if we understand ourselves more, we can understand a character more. And um, for me, yeah, there's definitely, um, I've always said that she she's a survivor because that's how she responds. It's like she goes through these traumatic experiences and she responds by either like by fight or flight. Usually mm-hmm. those are her two mechanisms. And so, yes, yeah, to understand that and go, oh, okay, so these traumatic experiences, her difficult upbringing has really forced her to create this tough exterior. But we do see that she has a big heart underneath, but she's had to fight so hard to survive. And she's fighting for the survival of everybody around her as well. And that's the interesting thing. It's like with her mom, with, with Julia, with Penny, like it's always in order for others to survive and thrive. And so she does really extreme things in order to save everybody. Um, But I think it's because she doesn't know any alternative. She doesn't know a healthy alternative. So yeah, I think it's absolutely supported me in, in truly understanding and breaking down why it is she operates the way that she does. Well, I think that's why I love getting a look too into her relationship with Julia and her relationship with Penny. Her relationship with Julia, it seems like she still carries around a lot of emotional reactivity to everything she went through with her and maybe some guilt, some blame that she couldn't do more to help her. Um, yes. And it kind of the, the same thing with Penny. It it seems like it's always that feeling. It's always going to be like this. You know, is, is it ever going to be normal? Are we ever going to be able to, to kind of get past these things? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, um, yeah, I think for her, it was really challenging with Julia because it was, um, she felt betrayed in a lot of ways. And we can see that as tough as Katie is, she's a very loyal person. And when she is betrayed, she takes it to the extreme in many ways. And I think, she, I mean, if you really look back at the scenarios, she literally had to kill someone for yeah. this girl. And then she's like, eh, not a big deal. We're just <laughs> going to let him go. And so, um, that's a huge traumatic experience to have to go through. And I mean, I can't, that was an interesting thing to, to, to play and portray because I'm like, I can't imagine killing somebody first of all but being forced to and also doing it because you think that's going to save your friend and help humanity in some capacity. These are really extreme scenarios. And so I can't imagine the amount of upset and resentment that she had towards Julia because she just let it go and, and didn't really see how much of a sacrifice Katie was making for her. Yeah. And that's also how she, Katie's processed and how she's operated for so long is by defense. And so when something happens in that way, her immediate response is defense and she's going to put up her walls and protect herself. And so she's still in that space with Julia a bit, but you know, I think those walls can come down because, um, they really did have such a strong connection. I know that you're not allowed to give any spoilers. So how do I phrase this moving forward? 
having the background also, that kind of stuff, eventually there's only so long that it can build up and build up before it catches up with you um, yeah. if you don't address it the right way. So I know she came to that realization when she went into the psych hospital, you know, it is catching up with me. I do have to find a better way to deal with this. But then that was kind of cut short a little bit because she just escaped <laughs> from there. Yeah. Man, I want to say, how do you see her arc moving forward with this? Um, emotionally? Yeah, emotionally. In regards to Julie or in regards to like the whole scenario? Everything. Just how long can you deal with all that, you know? You know, we've seen her go to the extreme, but we've also seen her bounce back really quickly. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will tell you without like revealing too much that she does bounce back pretty quickly Mm. after this. We see a different side of her or we see, um, we see her sort of, uh, more herself again, but again, what is herself really? Cause she's, <laughs> she's all of those things. Um, but she's definitely, um, standing on her own two feet again. And she, uh, you see a different kind of strength. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying not to like, oh, yeah, I know it's so hard. <laughs> uh, I say this about telling you everything. So she, yeah, she comes out of it pretty quickly in the end. But again, that's, that's her MO. That's like, she's like, okay, this is a traumatic experience. She delves into the depths of it and, you know, falls to the bottom, uh, and then finds her strength and makes her way back out of it yeah. with, um, a new zest and a new kind of strength or sometimes a new vulnerability, which I think is what makes her really complex and interesting. But you definitely see her come out of it in a different way than, than I think we've seen. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> right underneath her character, what did we write? Strength versus emotional vulnerability, yeah. right? <laughs> Sums I love up. that. I love that so much. That Yeah, that makes me really happy. Because, I, yeah, I think I had a, an acting teacher once say to me, and I, I don't know why this just, just stuck with me in such a big way, um, but he used to say, you're only as angry as you are hurt. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like I can – that's how I, <laughs> that's how, um, that's how I perceive her in many ways. It's like, she's only angry because she's really hurt and emotional and sensitive underneath of that. And so it's this tough exterior, this fighter spirit, because she's so afraid of feeling that emotion and feeling that hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So she really is vulnerable and emotional underneath. I feel that way about Penny often. Yeah. Too though, right? A lot of these sort of glib remarks and and the way he acts. It, but we see how upset he was when he died and nobody cared. Yeah. You know, underneath all of that. Well, Katie yeah. cared. But except Katie, right? Except Katie. <laughs> Katie cared. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, I think well, I mean, I think that's what makes them work. Yeah. Right. It's the fact that they have some of the same mechanisms of survival, you know. And so, um, yeah, I think that's why they understand one another so so well. And I think they both feel very, very deeply. And they because and they're they're probably the most emotional and most sensitive of all of the characters. (laughs) But that's also why they're, they're so brash and tough is because they're trying to protect themselves. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the fact that they both have this close relationship that it opens up their vulnerability and makes them both more relatable to the viewers? Yeah, I think, well, I think 
I think what makes them really relatable is um, this idea that I think we as humans create sort of, I want to call it like a mask, right? We, we put up a wall, we put up a mask in order to, to protect ourselves. And one of the things that we fear most is being vulnerable. Mm. I just, I just find it so fascinating. Um, like anytime I've seen, well, I don't know if you've ever seen an actor just like crying and sobbing and you're like, why don't I, why don't I feel good about this right now? It just, it feels like it's sort of dramatic and it's, um, forced because that's not how most humans are. Most humans don't like openly share their heart and share their feelings. We feel the feelings and then we try and stuff them down. And so I think what's relatable about them is that like, those are really human experiences and human responses to feeling vulnerable and to being human. And, um, and I think that's what really makes them unique and special and what makes people drawn is that they care so much and they're fighting against it yet they're fighting for it at the same time. And that's the interesting thing about humans. It's like, we're mm-hmm. just such a dichotomy is that usually the thing that we resist the most is the, is the thing that we want the most. That's so you know? true. I, I also, their whole relationship feels real to me. And I'm sure this is a huge testament to your acting and Arjun's acting you can see them together. You know, it doesn't feel like two actors in a show in a relationship. It, right. it feels like what they would be going through in these types of situations. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that I just messed up the flow, do you want to go back to some of our background yeah, questions? Sure. Last night, this is terrible, but I was up till six in the morning catching up on emails because it was the first time I had a chance to. That was my Friday night. I was painting my house and catching up on emails. It was really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. We read that you like to paint. I do. I do paint. Yes. Uh, Christina yeah. and myself, we're fine artists. We went, we, that's where we met in college, foundations, which is like oh, military okay. camp for art. So we have that's paintings perfect. all across the house. And we thought it, it's so funny how we relate to so many uh, artists, other artists out there who I'm a, I'm a web designer and Christina ended up going with the art therapy route, but we're all rooted in some kind of fine art. To begin yeah. with, I feel like. The passion for it, yeah, I think, is what's uh, universal when you meet somebody that shares that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think for me, like creativity in general, I'm so blown away by somebody that has a vision and like brings it to life. And Yeah. The, I don't know, sort of like somebody, you can see a little bit of somebody's spirit on the canvas. And it's just, yeah, I'm just blown away by it. I love when you can see them from, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the beginning of the artist's career, but from the beginning of their professional career or what have you, if you could see it in order to, to their passing away, you can really see what they've been going through in life. Yeah. And you can dissect like, wow, you know, he must be dealing with pain at this point and knowing, and then you can find out how old he or she was at that point, make a whole storyline in your head. See their journey. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of part of what we do in art therapy. It's just another way to express yourself what's going on. Did you, are you trained in, in, uh, fine arts? Um, I was, yeah. So I started, oh gosh. Um, I started taking art class when I was about five. Oh wow. I was really young. Um, my mom was really supportive about us being creative and, um, yeah, just sort of allowing that 
that space for us to create whatever we wanted. So she put us in all sorts of things, whether that was, you know, I was in dance by the time I was four and art and, but I was, I was also just always drawing at home and creating at home. And so she's like, Oh, you should go and do that. And I found a piece recently. I was seven and I was like, there's no way I was seven when I did this. It was like, it was a, a like pastel, but the shading and I, I was just really blown away by it. But I remember distinctly, and this is a really interesting thing. I was on and off in like art class and, and uh, being trained because when I was probably about eight or nine, I remember my art teacher telling me that what I was making was wrong hmm. <laughs> and I just shut down completely. And I was like, but it's art. It's like, there's no right or wrong. It's whatever, you know? So I, um, I don't know that it was like this thing that I loved to do so much was then like, it was a, like an outlet for creative expression. And, and all of a sudden it became something entirely different Yeah. in that one moment. And it was just so fascinating to me. And so, yeah, I didn't do it for a long, long time. And then I would sketch and I, I had books upon books of like ideas and different things. And I would paint throughout my life. Um, but it wasn't until, um, college years that I went back into fine art classes and I just, I love it. I can show you a little piece. Yeah, yeah please. My house is really barren and a mess, but I have <laughs> something I can show you. Hold on, let's see. Um, where's my light? This is one piece that I did. Oh, wow. A little Buddha face. It was actually a four piece part, but I actually like that. It's just the two. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Anyways, I do a lot of floral pieces. But, um, Christina does too. She loves. She loves. I have, I have a, a bunch of landscape, mainly trees, though, is my oh, really? obsession in painting, at least. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. Where so yeah, so I, yeah, always, always creating, and I can't tell you how many craft boxes and art supplies I have because it's endless. <laughs> ah, ask Jason. Do they overflow our house or yeah, what? <laughs> it's everywhere, everywhere. Well, I mean, I didn't show you this part, <laughs> but. I haven't organized it yet, but this is like all my crafts. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a little bit. That, no, that's great that you're going to have a space for it. Yeah, I have a cra- like this is my craft room. <laughs> I, need, I need that so bad. <laughs> it's pretty great. I'm excited. <laughs> if you're ever in New York and you need an outlet, oh, yeah. we have the, the material. You can come here and uh, paint, draw, whatever you need. Yeah, well, that's this room. It's kind of like creativity room. We have podcast stuff up here too, but... I'm looking at paintings. We have paintings all over. For me, when I paint, I like to be very free because with web design and graphic design, everything is so what the client needs. And I mean, if I'm dealing with a client who has a logo, you know, let's say Sprite or something, you can't mess that up one second. One, like if you turn it a little bit, they'll be like, nope, that's not our logo. So with painting, that's my excuse to just go, no rules, throw the paint everywhere. I don't yeah. want to depict anything. Yeah. But with Christina, she really embraces the brush. Figurative. Yeah. Sometimes trying to make it look like, well, trying is the operative word yeah. to make it look like something. <laughs> <laughs> I Painting was not really my first thing. It was always drawing and sketching, but uh, the painting relaxes me. So mm. it's... It's much less about what it looks like, I guess. But we also heard that another one of your loves is singing. Yeah, <laughs> it is. That was my first love. 
my first big love um, besides art. Yeah, I've been singing since I was, well, for as long as I can remember, but um, <laughs> I'm going to share this. Um, I thought that I was going to be the next Mariah Carey. That was like my dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I just like, that was it for me. And, um, and then, and I always love musical theater. Uh, like I, I might be an obsessive. I collect playbills. I see every show. I'm a nut when it comes to musical theater. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> no need to be. Um, and so, yeah, basically, um, because of musical theater, I then fell in love with acting and it got to sort of encompass all of my loves, like acting, singing, dancing, the visuals, all of that. And so, yeah, I'm just sort of madly in love with it. And, been singing for a very long time. And like I said, I wanted to be like Mariah Carey. So for me, um, R and B blues jazz was my, my heart and soul. That was like my forte. Uh, but then I was also classically trained. And so I've done a lot of classics, um, classical stuff and then also musical theater. So across the board. That's awesome. My brother plays the uh, upright bass. Oh, nice. He's a jazz musician. He hasn't had a real job. He's older than me. He's in his 40s. He hasn't had one real job. Uh, I think he's probably the most accomplished in the family for that fact alone. <laughs> he w- Well, he won't give up on it. It's no, his love, yeah. which, you know, is That's kind of amazing thing. in and of itself. And when I say real job, I mean the nine to five, you got to go to an office every day. Totally. totally. My... Um which is so beautiful. I mean, that's really commendable that somebody's able to sustain a living in that way. My stepdad is a musician. He's been, oh gosh. So he was on Saturday Night Live for 17 years, oh, Letterman wow. for 22 years. He was in the Blues Brothers. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So he's been around. He's wow. been around the block, but he's never like had a real job either. It's, he's always been a musician. It's the best you know, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. He's been loving it until he had kids, and then he realized, uh, mm. I gotta, I'm getting older, I have kids, I need health insurance. That's when it gets hard. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's funny. Yep. I hear that. <laughs> yeah, that can be a challenge. Yeah, I guess it's different um, when you're a freelance musician, because as a freelance like actor, you're still under SAG and you get great health benefits. Right. Oh. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, pretty lucky that way. <laughs> Is there any... Broadway shows that you, if you could pick, let's say you have magic, you can choose anything, which one would it be and what role? I was going to say to choose one that I would be in. Yeah. So the one that I would choose, I would never be in Oh. <laughs> because I'm not black. Um, I would be in the color purple. Oh, <laughs> okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, it's my favorite musical. I can't explain like why beyond the fact that, um, it has so much heart and I love stories of women empowerment and like, and people overcoming obstacles that for me is just, I love it so much. And, um, so they don't make it about any other, cause a lot of them are about these love stories, right? it's like boy meets girl. Right. And it's, and that's what it is. And it's like how they fall in love, but the color purple, it's about this woman's journey of self-love. And I just love it so much. And the music and everything, it just resonates with my soul in such a way that I can't even explain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. I've seen it nine times. I'm a crazy person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've also seen Wicked nine times and oh, Red ten oh, times. Wicked like, is I'm, great. Wicked's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I used to want to be um, Alphaba so badly. But you know what I would love? I would love to play Alphabet in the movie version 
of Wicked. Oh, I think you should. Yeah. That would be like, that would be her character is so interesting. I, I could. Tina Mandel, but she's too old at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you playing that role too. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. I would love it so much. Oh, that would be a dream come true. Speaking of you playing someone, you once answered a question, a movie that desperately needs a remake is, and you answered The Labyrinth. And I would yeah. thought, I, when I read that, I was like, you would make the perfect Jennifer Connelly. I love that so much. Thank you. You know, I, when my hair is straighter, I get that all the time. People are like, you look like Jennifer Connelly. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that would, you know, but I also said, I was like, because... Not to remake it. <laughs> but if they were, I would, I mean, I'm a little like, I'm not like a teenager with a little baby brother, but, um, but that would be an amazing role to play. But point is, yeah, I guess for me, when, when there's like classic movies that are so good, usually the remakes are never quite as good. And True. so it's just disappointing, but I do love that movie so much. And it would, I mean, what a, that would be fun to remake that. Who do you think would play David Bowie's character, Jared? Jared. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, Hale would be a really good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hale would be a really good one. Hale would be really good. I would just choose Hale. I love him. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect done. <laughs> I mean, we've heard him sing. So you, you know we're doing um, David Bowie. We're doing um, Under Pressure. Yes. Episode 9. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> So, and Hale sings it beautifully. So I think, yeah, let's choose Hale for that role. <laughs> he really does. Do you get excited when you read the scripts of the season? You're like, oh, we're going to do another musical. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I've been literally begging our executive producers to put me in. And he's like, for the longest time, he's like, I know you're the you're the one person that's like, a, you're the singer. And I haven't put you in. But Katie's not as like how can I make that work with Katie? And I was like, just make it work. <laughs> and, um, there was like a running joke going around. Um, my dad is Israeli and was in the Mossad. And so for whatever reason, there's like a running joke about me being IDF. And I, it, it started out, this is going to sound weird. It started out because we sometimes play Foursquare with, um, our executive producer, John's son, David. Um, and I get a little competitive and, um, the running joke was that if I didn't get the musical this year, I was going to start killing people. <laughs> and I was like, that's really terrifying, but very true. <laughs> that's true. Well, you do know Krav Maga, don't you? I do. Yeah. You could kill him easily. <laughs> exactly. So hence the IDF aspect. So again, give me So now I have two musical numbers in it. So it's great. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all jokes aside, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I was so freaking excited about it. And, um, I know that they were excited to like create it and it, what's cool about it. And, um, I don't think this is a spoiler is that it's not just like a couple musical numbers. It's basically like a whole musical episode. Oh, great. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all these musical elements, and I think we have five different songs. Wow. That's amazing, because we were thinking that, I and now I don't, of course, remember which exact episode it was last time where there was musical. Um, last season. But it was, it was just a small part of the episode. Um, yeah. So it'll be good to get more. It's the whole thing. I remember we were working like 14 to 16-hour days, 
for, you know, eight days straight. It was so great. Like, and I could have done that every day. I loved it so much. I just, yeah, I had the best time. Absolute best time. I have to say, I hate you now though, because every time that song comes up, it runs in my head over and over again. So while you're talking, all I hear in my head is under pressure. (laughs) Yes. Earworm. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. It's, I mean, yeah, I know. It's so funny. Now that's my response to like, anytime someone's like, oh, I'm so stressed. And I'm like, I'm depression. <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. I mean, I'm excited. I'm really excited to hear and see people's responses because I think there is, musicals are hit or miss. I think like I've seen people make comments like so terrible, like um, you're ruining the show with the musical episodes oh. or like things like that. But then people are also so incredibly excited. I think making it a, a full on musical episode and where music is a necessity in it, I think it gives it purpose. And I think if like music's just thrown in to be thrown in, it doesn't really feel like it's justified, mm. but I like that we've justified it this time around. Well, in season, season three, I, I just have to say, has been amazing. It's, yeah. We've said it a couple times on the podcast. It's been our favorite season so far. And I do think partially that's what it is. The magicians, they just go all in on, on things. <laughs> you know, they, they're not afraid to try switch that and to push things. Yeah, switch it up to address hard topics. Um, it's, it's really so unique in a lot of the ways that it approaches this storyline. And, man, I, I think... Lev Grossman did the same. Um, the books were amazing. I, that was my first exposure. I read the books a while back and had no idea during season one they had made it into yeah. a TV show. Thank God for Netflix because yeah. that's where we found it. Yeah, Netflix has been amazing for us. When, it's been really, when, really incredible. When Jason ever came to me and said, there's this show called The Magicians, I, I think I started you screaming and running around the house. You were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> they have a show for that? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a huge book nerd. Did you read the magician's books? I did, but not until after I got the job. Okay. You and Arjun uh, too. What Ar- you say? Arjun as well. He yeah. Read it after. So um, what's interesting is um, I actually had a friend that was telling me about the books and telling me that they were making it into a show. I sort of was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, it just was like, oh, yeah, he's really excited about this thing. And I like magical <laughs> things. Okay, no big deal. And then I was working on Aquarius. And um, John, our executive producer, came up to me one day. And he's like, I, I want you to read for this show that I'm doing in the middle of, like, scenes, in the middle of takes. And I, I was like, the magicians? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've just, I was just talking to a friend about it. And anything John does, I'm there. I just I respect that man so much. He's incredible. And so, um, so yeah, I, I went in for it, but it was so quick that I didn't have time to read the books as well as the script, but oftentimes the books are very different than the adaptation. And so I went, I don't want to be attached to what that looks like. I want to read the script and see their interpretation of it. So I can represent the characters that they've created, uh, which is different than what Lev created. And I think you know, that was a challenging thing with um, the beginning of the season is that in many ways people were attached to what the books looked like oh, and their, oh. their vision of, of this world that they've created based on Lev's experience and what Lev created, which is vastly different than what we've created. And I think we were trying to keep to what Lev created in so many ways at the beginning, but I think 
um, it's just sort of melded and evolved into something very different, but equally as amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, Jason will often ask me because he hasn't read the books. Do you know about this? Do you know where they're going next or what they're doing with this? And I said, honestly, they broke off from that so long ago. It it, it has really become its own thing. I mean, some of the, the themes and underlying things are definitely still there. But for me watching it, it feels very different. It's like I'm seeing everything for the first time. Yeah. You, our, um, John said this to me once when we were talking about it, because I was talking about just the trajectory of the books and the characters and all of that. And he's like, well, if you look at it, like think about it from like a linear perspective, like this, these are the books. It's like a straight line of like information. But he's like, but what we do is we go like this. So we go up and down and up and down and we still come back to that through line but we have this flexibility to go all over the place and somehow keep the the spine of it. But it's like all the flesh and blood and all of that <laughs> is different. You I know? like that. That's a good analogy. Well, and in the first version of the TV script, Katie dies early on. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So when I was actually reading the the script, when I first got it, I think John had wanted me to co- go in for Margot. But I was reading it and I was like, oh, I love this character, Katie. She's such a badass. And then she dies. And I was like, oh, want, want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I'll go in for Margot. So I go in for Margot and uh, I get a call that day from my manager at the time going, they love you, but they think you're right for Katie. And I was like, oh, I guess it'll be a one off. That's fine. Like just one episode, I'll die. And then a couple days later, they had scheduled um, the meeting with the director, but they're like, but there's a new script. I would like to think that they wrote the new script so I didn't die for me, but (laughs) that's that's a stretch. But they wrote a new script um, where then the dean died instead of instead of Mm -hmm. Katie. And yeah. And so I went and shot it. They, you know, they made me recurring and then a series regular. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The trajectory was just Unexpected. Well, with Arjun's character, Penny, they switched him up a lot. They made him more of a suave, funny, tough guy. He's very different from book. Yeah. Yeah, book Penny. Goth emo character (laughs) in the books, right? So I think we can can safely say they changed his character for you as well. They were like, well, we need to keep... Jade here, so let's make it where Penny's a lot cooler, so that it makes sense for them to be together. Well, I appreciate you saying that. He was technically hired first, so I'll give him that. <laughs> when I was shooting Aquarius, he came on set, and like, and Sarah and John introduced me to him. They're like, "Oh yeah, he's playing Penny," and I was like, "Oh," because hmm. <laughs> it was just such a different like idea of who that was, uh, and I was like, "Oh okay." That's interesting. Okay, so we're going in a different direction with the show. Cool. Yeah, and so I think I think my version of Katie just made sense for their version of Penny. For sure. Of course. I'm yeah. so happy they did that with his character. The, the book character, while he was one of my favorites, I think was so hard to like there. I can't imagine what TV viewers would make of that. It would be really hard to get on board, I think. With that pen. Yeah, I think Arjun's done a great job of like making this unlikable character likable, and he'll probably be like, "No, he's incredibly likable." I don't know. I don't know what his perspective is really, but he really does. Like, yes, he's brash and obnoxious and and tough. Yet, I don't know. There's something about his like charm that makes him endearing for people. Yeah, for sure. 
What about the other cast? Yeah. How, oh, yeah. You know, I, I'd love to hear about working with them. Obviously, we had the interview with Arjun, so we have a little bit of background for him, but we haven't had anyone else on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, every, every relationship is different. And um, like the person that I'm actually closest with, I don't get to act with, which is Brittany. Uh, I had a feeling. Um, yeah, I okay. adore her so much. She's one of my best friends. And I don't know how or why. You know what's interesting is because um, I, I think I'm the one character or the one person that's vastly different from her character. Like we, <laughs> Britt and I joke all the time because like we're just super goofy and a little bit hyperactive and, <laughs> and quirky. And um and so we just get along so beautifully because of that. Like we're just very, very similar energy, but you wouldn't think it based on my character, you know? And so it's just funny, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I would say I have a lot of fun acting with Jason and Hale cause they're both goofs as well when they're together and we start like singing random musical theater songs. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just remember last year for the, the heist episode, um, cause I was acting with them a lot. It was one of my favorites. And I, I just, cause it was, um, I don't know. Some people get like, get on set and they're super serious. Like Arjun can be super serious when he's on set. And then there's those that go and like we play and we have fun and it's, we're still serious about the work, but we still like have a good time mm. and joke. Mm. And, and of course Arjun does that too, but I think not to the extreme that Jason and Hale and I do. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't, I don't get to, I mean, I got to work with Stella a bunch. Uh, I mean, all of our cast is wonderful and, and, and like different in their own ways. And I got to work with Olivia a lot this year, which was really fun. Uh, work with her a lot in the musical episode. Oh, good. So, yeah. It's sort of like the three of us. I will tell you that, that like, <clears throat> well, or four Jason. Well, no, I'll tell you three. Cause I don't know if that's a surprise. Um, Jason, Olivia and myself get to play a lot in that episode. That's going oh, nice. to be fun. Well, you yeah. were thinking about one actress in particular though, right? That you get to work a lot with. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite actresses in the world. Marley Matlin. Yes. <laughs> as you know, <laughs> because she's one of mine. <laughs> she's incredible. I can't wait for you guys to see this next episode. Oh. Uh, I won't tell you too much, but it goes into her story. Finally. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes into her story and, Yeah. I mean, and we do something and I'm allowed to say this because we've talked about it. Uh, we do MOS, which is like no sound so that you can really experience what it's like to be deaf. Oh, wow. That's like one of the, like I get chills, like full body chills, even talking about it because it's so incredibly important. I think, you know, I don't explain this. The thing that I love most about this work is that we're creating these human experiences for people. And it's a way for us to relate. And it's a way for us to empathize with others and what they've created in this next episode, making it an MOS episode. Well, not entirely, but a lot of it is MOS. You really experience what it's like to be deaf and you um, understand from their perspective for a moment And I think it's one of the most beautiful things that they've created on the show. I'm so incredibly proud of it. And I think people will be really impacted by it. And Marley is, as always, incredible in the episode. And um, I I can't wait to hear people's responses and 
and see what people say about, about that. And, and I really hope that people, what people will take away is more empathy and understanding because that, that was one of the things I, I love Marley so much. She's just like, you meet her and she's just one of the strongest women you'll ever meet. Like she will tell you how it is mm-hmm. and she'll tell you how she feels with no filter. And I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did notice was how much we as humans take for granted all of our abilities and how we often don't think about how we're, uh, how somebody else is experiencing life. Mm. So watching her on set where like somebody might call out a direction and forget that she can't hear what they're saying. And we have an amazing crew who's very, um, Betty, sorry, my pup, um, is moving. I don't know if you can see this. Yeah, like, like, oh. <laughs> um, so he keeps stretching. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move you. I love you. Thank you. So what, where was I? I was talking about. Sometimes they'll call out a direction and she can't. Yeah, they'll call out a direction and she can't hear what they're saying. And our cast and crew is incredible and they're so incredibly aware. But it's, again, it's so instinctual to just like call that out and not think, oh, this person can't actually hear. So it's about being so aware of everybody else and finding empathy and understanding. And yeah, just like, I think we can be, this is a, a gross generalization, but we as humans can be very self-focused mm-hmm. and um, forget how somebody else might think or feel or operate and how it differs from ourselves. And so I hope that what our audience will take away from it is more empathy more awareness and maybe like start to take a stand for people that have different abilities. And I don't ever want to call it a disability because it's not, it's just a different ability than we have. Agreed. So I think, so yes, I hope Christina and I were talking about that in, I think it was a Patreon podcast. So it wasn't a magician's podcast, but we were talking about empathy and uh, in relationships, the ability to understand where they're coming from. If you can take the second to do that, so many stupid little fights would never happen, you know? Yeah. And that's with anything in life. Misunderstandings, miscommunications, but we also said how difficult that is because you call it selfish. It's like, it's such a bad word for it because it comes with a connotation. It's a natural human thing, like you said, to think about things the way you experience them, to kind of be caught in this bubble of this is how it works for me and forget that it's different for others. Um, and it, it is kind of a challenge in the beginning to step out of that and really picture, not just try to hear what that person has gone through, but what it's like to be them. So I'm really excited about that idea. That sounds amazing. This is great. So I can't wait. You've seen her. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say it's a big episode. So I'm excited. I'm excited, but also, you know, it's, yeah. Anyways. And also Megana, I will say Megana Tova. She, I love this girl so much. She's incredible. And she has a big role in it as well. And I think you're going to be really surprised, not only with her abilities, but with um, her storyline as well. I will say that. Well, you you didn't have to sell us. We were going to watch it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really, really excited now. Uh, You've seen Marley in The West Wing, right? Yes, of course. 
That's when I first got to know her. Well, because you're obsessed. Yeah. Right? We should have moved on from her, but I just am nerding out so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. No, I love her so much. Um, I think my first experience was actually Children of a Lesser God. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, just just blown away. And then I saw her in Spring Awakening. I'd seen Spring Awakening in its original form, and I thought this was incredibly powerful. She's an incredible, incredible human, and I'm just constantly in awe of her natural ability, but her expressiveness. And this was something that, you know, was the thing that I realized is how much I learn from her every time I work with her. Um, Not just because of who she is, but because we don't realize that uh, we're so programmed to like, not programmed, but we forget how easy it is for us to like, we hear and we see things and we go through life taking those for granted all the time. And we instinctually hear and listen without thought. Right. But when I'm acting with her, it's forcing me to listen in a different way. So I'm listening with my eyes. I'm listening while watching her body. Mm -hmm. It forces you to like be present with somebody in a different way. And so that was, has been a really incredible journey for me is to, um, to see that and to like, to start to listen to people, not by what they're saying, but by what they're expressing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that as if we do that as a society too, we can like really, I don't know, find more empathy for people. Absolutely. For sure. Okay. Some fun things. Staying on the cast. Who is the class clown? Ah, uh, Jason, Jason has a, Jason has a, a bag that, well, yeah, I would say if we're taking me out of the equation, I would say (laughs) it's Jason. He's got a, like his satchel. That's like Quentin's satchel bag, man purse, whatever you want to call it. That has like a whoopee cushion and a rubber duck, rubber, like I'm not rubber chicken in there. Like he's, <laughs> this is—he's totally the class. Clown. I'm sorry. This is so interesting to hear because you watch somebody on TV and you know you're watching a character. You know this is not who they are, but it's then so difficult. I would never picture him that way in real life. You're just but so he's familiar. also like super intelligent and super in, like intense and passionate. On the other hand, like the antithesis, it's uh, just for. But he's also super, super goofy. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, that's that's you to a T. <laughs> and my name's Jason, so there we go. Oh, hi, there we go. <laughs> you gotta have him on at some point. You guys will get along great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I mean, the fact that he's got like a rubber chicken and a whoopee cushion, and he'll like just put it under people whenever he feels like it. He's just yeah. That's but amazing. then I I I I'm a prankster mm. in many ways. Like I. There's this one guy, um, Gary Brooks, who's our key grip. For whatever reason, the past two years, like we keep pranking each other and we just keep upping the ante every time. Like this past year, he decided to attach my cast chair to the ceiling. And um, and so I decided to <laughs> fill his truck with balloons, saran wrap it, and put caution tape all over it. Oh my God. <laughs> It was so good. <laughs> That's awesome. And I had a couple accomplices. Um, yeah, I mean, we have so much. We have too much fun on the show. But like, and that just shows you like what our casting crew is like. They're just 
like they're there to work and we get everything done. And, but we also, you know, the morale is up and we have a good time while doing it, which is really special. That's really important. That's really too. important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who is the flirt? <laughs> she that, wants to that say ding her. Was actually she like she right wants to say it. her. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I would say that everybody else would say that I'm the flirt. Okay. Okay. Everybody else would say that I'm the flirt. Good. Um, own it. <laughs> so I'm just going to say that I, I, I'm just like so touchy feely. I just will grab and hug everybody and, and can be overly nice and that can be misconstrued as flirtation. Mm. So I'm, I'll totally take that. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, next one you actually answered, who is the serious one? Penny? Oh, oh yeah, Arjun. Totally. Arjun is uh, absolutely a thousand percent down the serious one. And that, again, that's so funny because... When, when we talked like to him, he, on was, the cast. he was the flirt. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, he's such a flirt. And that's the thing. Like, And when I say everybody would say it was me, usually it's Arjun going, oh, no, you're totally that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Arjun is definitely – but, I mean, he's got, like, a lot of energy and he's, like, really boisterous. But he's also, like, the serious one. Mm. Like, everybody knows him to be the serious one. <laughs> yeah. Who is the natural one that everyone secretly hates but not really? In this series, because I they don't have to study as hard as everyone else. Hmm. In as an actor, yeah. Or yeah. As, um, you kind of hate him. You're like, why is it so easy for you? <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Summer because she doesn't memorize her lines beforehand. Wow. Like she'll get to set and like read them a couple times for the first time right before she goes on and then just like does it kick ass Uh, how the hell do you like i mean i can memorize easily but i would never do it like right then and there and just feel comfortable like i have to know my lines so that i can then have freedom so i'm not thinking about the lines but some people operate better that way where it's like so fresh that they have instinctual responses she's that way and Hale's the opposite. Like he studies his lines, but he comes from a theater background. So, but yeah, Summer just reads it once and she's good to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, mind blown. That's awesome. Like, yeah. 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 Let's ask her about, I mean, um, some of your other stuff outside oh, yeah. of the magicians. We have a list and it's may or may not be correct. So you tell us about movies that are coming out for you soon. Higher Power was a film I did where it's a essentially, I think it just got um, picked up for distribution. And um, it's a sci-fi film as well, actually. It's about this sort of average Joe who um, has experiments forced upon him and um, gains all these superpowers. I play his wife that passed away years prior and his life sort of, um, went to, for lack of a better phrase, went to shit after I passed away. It's just like he went into a deep depression. I became sort of the catalyst for this journey and he has two daughters that he, you know, and it's, it's a really beautiful heartfelt story and I'm excited to see it on the big screen. Cause it's, um, it's really cool. Awesome. It's, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, what other things, uh, you know, for me right now, um, I also write, I have a couple projects that are in development and, um, that I'm creating. And so that's really, um, uh, my focus primarily right now is that, and a couple other things I'm working on a women's speaker series. I'm a big, big, big fan of, and I support, um, the national women's history museum, which 
technically there is no such thing, meaning they don't have a, um, an actual museum right now. It's living online and it's, it's an organization and they're trying to make it a museum because something that most people don't know is that if we look at the history books that we are given from the time, you know, in our youth, 20% of it represents women. So that's a 30% gap if we're looking at equality. Right. And so, it's been really important, especially with what's been going on, um, in the world that like we show our future generations and our, the, like the young girls of today, the powerful women in our history that have made a difference. Because right now I think people are really looking for people to look up to and women are finding their strength in a different way. But I think, um, you know, I think it was Susan B. Anthony said, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. And so I just find it, like vital to, uh, to showcase these women in our history. And so I'm working with, um, the national women's history museum, doing some video content for them as well to support them and in, in their movement to get this made. They do have a contract to make it at the, the mall in DC, but it's, I mean, it takes millions upon millions of dollars to get something like this up off the ground. So, so, but awesome. you know, moving forward with it and it's, you know, we have a, a ways to go. We're going to do a couple of quick fire questions. Sure. Maybe one or two words. Uh, I think this will be uh, fun. So I should like rapidly answer? Okay. So yeah, the idea is a uh, first answer that comes to your head. Okay. You All read. right. I'm excited. You want me to read? Yeah. Oh, okay. These are your questions. But okay. Yeah. I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll start, we'll start with an easy one then. Um, you're a new addition to the crayon box. What color would you be? Teal. Hmm. <laughs> Wait, what's your favorite 90s jam oh <laughs> 90s r&b uh oh my gosh i'm gonna just oh god uh mariah carey <laughs> <laughs> what's the last thing you watched on tv last thing i watched on tv was the crown oh, nice, nice. On a scale of one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the best, how would you rate your memory? Eight. That's good. It's <laughs> better than you, Jason. Yeah. Uh, in one word, who or what inspires you? Humans. We finish this interview and you step outside and find a lottery ticket that ends up winning $10 million. What is the first thing you would do? Donate at least half of it. Oh, she's a way better person I know. I would have said cash are. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm going to make Jason ask the last question. This is all okay. on you, um, Sweet, uh, sweetheart. I know, but it was supposed <laughs> to be fast so that she didn't have a chance to oh, realize sorry. what we were asking. Okay. All right. Let me come up with something else. Um, <laughs> what was the last gift you gave someone? Oh, there you someone. go. Hey, last gift I gave somebody... Uh, was a limousine ride for my best friend's three-year-old boy. Beautiful. Yeah. Because he's obsessed with cars, and so I rented a limo for him. <laughs> I've seen that on your Instagram. Is that the cute yeah. little kid? Oh, he's yeah. adorable. Yeah, it's my little my little nephew. I love him so much. But yeah, <laughs> so I got a ride. <laughs> That's and awesome. Last one. Two reasons why CKC is your favorite podcast. Go. Uh, you two are incredible and because you go beyond just the surface of like what what it is to be like human and, and experience magic it's like I, I love that you guys are really heartfelt and um 
and your love of art really inspires me and you guys are just awesome. Oh my goodness. Thank you you so much. And thank you for humoring Jason. Yeah. That's going to make his day. Oftentimes we do notes and then we compare them. And all the time she's like, that's too corny, Jason. Stop. Nope. Erase that one. I just, I and she left out. that one on for me. <laughs> really? I'm a cornball. Oh, good. I'm a cornball. Like, and I'm the corniest. I love cheesy anything. So throw that at me anytime. <laughs> so we've kept you on so long. Thank you so much. Can I give her the very last question? Of course. Yeah. Okay. What is the question you wish we would ask or another or interviewer anybody, yeah. that you don't get asked? Um, you know, that is, that is a good question. The thing that comes up for me is I would hope that people ask what it is that I want to say for others, because for me, everything I do is about how do I inspire somebody? How do I make an impact? So I guess like, what would the message be for anybody listening and anybody watching Mm. and something that I'm really passionate about an advocate for is for people to really know their worth and their value. And I think in this day and age, we put so much value on superficiality and like what we look like, the things that we have rather than who we truly are on the inside. You see so many people getting plastic surgery these days. And because we've been programmed for so long to believe that we need to look and be a specific way, like there's this ideal beauty image, right? Like if we look at the trajectory of like the past 60, 70 years, uh, in the fifties, you saw those cookie cutter magazines with like the ideal woman with her little apron. And we've been susceptible to believing that that is what we should be like and what that is what we should look like for years and years, not just in the media, but how we are raised. And so my intent and my purpose, I feel is to like, remind people that that's just what we've been told to believe is important, but what's really important is who you are and what's really important. And also knowing like that, what is beautiful is the fact that you are unique, that you are unlike anybody else and to stop trying to be anything other than who you are. Mm. That's beautiful. beautiful. If we all look the same, it'd be terribly boring world. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. With that being said, Christina and I spent the first five minutes adjusting the, the lights <laughs> so that we looked a little better for you. And I was like, I have double chins in this angle. I don't know if I could. <laughs> You're beautiful just as you are. Thank you. <laughs> you don't need lighting. Oh, man. <laughs> oh that's great. Well, okay, thank so, you so much yeah. for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to of you. Of course. You too. You guys too. This has been lovely. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always appreciate talking about the work. So anytime. Oh, That's awesome. yeah. And a pleasure chatting with you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 This round is on me. Try again.